0: ...of that article. The article is written by a woman, Sarah Gutfreund, and she writes um, in this article, she writes about things that she's letting go of before Rosh Hashanah, and uh, the topic of this year is really letting go and moving up, letting go and achieving happiness. And I think that um, some of the ideas that we're going to sort of discuss right now Oh. some of these right now uh, really they're so obvious and basic but when you hear it again and again and again then there's a chance that it might penetrate so I'm going to try to share five ideas five ideas a few stories get into the mood if people want to interrupt me please feel free to do that it's an interruption we're just learning together and Be'ezrat Hashem even though we started late we're going to end on time what does time mean? Brander time. Okay, we're going to end at 9.30. Okay, that's it. No matter what, 9.30. Is that fair? And if you feel tired, you know, people have said to me they have problems sleeping. I said, just listen to one of my shiurim. You will have no problem sleeping. Better than Ambien, better than Melatonin. Just listen to my shiurim. It's all right. I'm happy. I'm happy if you have a little bit of menuchas aguf when you listen to my shiurim. So I'm not insulted. I mean, half the times I fall asleep when I'm talking. Okay, so please, just it's not a problem at all. Um, let me start with, um, with a, a, the quote, a beautiful quote that this Mrs. Gottfreund begins with her article with, and I'm going to expand on it. Um, she quotes William Bridges, famous writer. I don't know, not famous to me, but he writes in Transitions. To become something else, you have to stop being what you are now. To start doing things in a new way, you have to end the way you're doing them now, and to develop a new attitude or outlook, you have to let go of the old one you have now. Ending always comes first. The first task is to let go. That's the, that's the premise of the article. Um, and before we talk about what we need to let go of or five ideas to, con- to consider, let me just uh, share with you a story. This, uh, if you just stay up for the story, it's mamish Um, Rebetzin Feige Twersky in a beautiful, beautiful image. She talks about when she, Rebetzin Feige Twersky is a well-known Rebetzin, her husband, is a Ramechel Twersky and um, she lives in Milwaukee, and she grew up in New York, and she describes the following image. I want to just read to you her words. It's really beautiful, and a beautiful way to start this year. She writes, Throughout the many years I lived in Milwaukee, whenever I would return to my parents' home in New York to visit, the same scene would unfold. I would typically land at LaGuardia Airport and take a taxi cab to my parents. All in all, from the time I landed... Until I arrived at their doorstep, it took roughly one hour. Yet my father, who was very attached to me, would say to my mother, even before my plane had landed, can you please bring a chair next to the window? Why do you need to sit next to the window? My mother would ask. My fagie is coming, replied my father. But she hasn't even landed yet. Why do you have to sit there now? I don't want to miss the first gl- glimpse of my fagi," my father would say. I still vividly remember looking up at the window as I would arrive home and seeing my father waiting for me. The same is true of our relationship with Hashem. He loves us more than anything, and He waits for us by the window, anticipating our return home. I don't want to miss the first glimpse of my child, Hashem says, and when we finally arrive and knock on the door, our Father in Heaven is there, waiting for us with a big hug and full of love. The, the imagery of Yom Kippur that many of us grew up with is one of awe. Oh, and that's true. These are yomim no ra'im; These are days of unbelievable fear. But it's also true that the day of Yom Kippur is considered in the deeper svarim as the day of the marriage between Hashem and Kal Yisrael. It's the day of incredible love. The Gemara tells us that they would do shiduchim, that they would have, that when the girls would go out in the field, that famous Gemara, that was on Yom Kippur. The day of Yom Kippur is a day of incredible bonding with Hashem. The attitude of fear needs to be there. The attitude of vulnerability is appropriate. But to have that without the Ahava, to have that without the sense of HaKadosh Baruch waiting for us at the window, looking to see if there'll be pangs of return, I think that's a big mistake. And if you have that image also, I think you'll have a totally different type of Yom Kippur. Okay, now, What's let's, go. You know, now let's go. What's that? So then what happened to that? Because Yom Kippur, because, Rosh Hashanah, because there are three relationships. The first relationship... Is Avinu, that's Elo. Rosh Hashanah is the melech, and Yom Kippur is the husband. Mm. There's a lot more. That's a difference here. Mm. Okay, here we go. Okay, number one. Okay, for, no, idea number one to let go of the need to be right. The need to be right. How does this tie into Yom, Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah and the whole Indian of Bahila? Most arguments, we know there's a very interesting. Minhag of asking mechila of asking for forgiveness. Many times you get a mechila gram in the schools. That's what they do. You know, I'm a WhatsApp mechila text, whatever. You know, whether or not that works halachically, we're not going to get into now. But the idea of asking for mechila on erev Yom Kippur appears explicitly in the Shulchan Aruch. An erev Yom Kippur, there's a custom to ask for forgiveness. Why? Why do you wait until erev Yom Kippur? The guy wronged you in February. What's that about? There's a lot of interesting discussion about what that's about. But, says Sarah Gottfried, not discussing this particular point, most arguments are not worth the price that we pay afterwards. I would rather be connected than right. I would rather give in than give up the chance to be close to someone I care about. Idea number one, we have to give up the necessity of being right, of being correct. Let me share, let me expand on this idea in a few ways. First of all, image number one, so beautiful. I am a grandfather, Baruch Hashem, big schus. And the school in Dallas that my children, my grandchildren go to, sends me pictures every day. It's a new world. It's a new world. It's a whole different world. They send pictures every day. And I'm probably the only guy that looks at all the pictures. Mm -hmm. I I don't always look every day, but I make sure I don't miss, you know, I look at the unread. And so today... In Dallas, Texas, my, I think two-year-old, but it could be three-year-old, you have to verify with my wife, mm-hmm. grandson, was learning about asking mechila, learning about asking forgiveness. And, you know, my grandson goes to the Haredi school in Dallas, yeah. with the Charedi TDS, it's called, and he's holding hands with a girl, okay, because wow. it's the Haredi school in Dallas, not in Beit He's holding <laughs> his hands with a girl, you know. And I'm thinking, like, well, this is a great Shinnok, right? You know, like, because they're, 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 they're like, they're like five guys and like tw- 12 girls and that, like, you know, maybe, but it's fine that that works. He just get two, three wives each one. You know what I'm saying? But like, you know, so he's holding hands with a girl and each one is holding her like, and they're looking at each other. Like, what do they say? They say, you're sorry now. Like, and it's like the most beautiful picture. You know, it's the most beautiful. I, I have that image, that beautiful picture. Says the Rush, Rabbeinu Usher, 13th century. Very amazing comment. The Rush says, when speaking about the Indian, the idea of the idea of forgiveness. I want to read to you what he says. Why do we ask for forgiveness on Ervion Kippur? I'm sure you've heard of this idea in other contexts, but probably not in this context. Says the Rush. I know that most of us think that the reason. If I were to ask you, why do we ask for forgiveness at Ervion Kippur? The classic reason. What's the classic reason? That's right, because this idea that if I don't ask for forgiveness to somebody else, then Hashem will not forgive me, for at least from the, the, the triangle, at least from those sins that I committed to somebody else. So that is definitely true. And I'm not saying that that's wrong. The Rambam says that. But the Rush says something very different. Listen to the language, the beautiful language of the Rush. And if you email me afterwards, I'll try to send you a copy of this language. Says the Rush that when a person comes to Erev Yom Kippur, it's very important to ask forgiveness. So that every Jew should be, what's the word shalem in this Complete. context mean? Complete. Complete whole, what does it also have tinges of? Shalem also is connected. Shalom, in peace. And look what he says. That Samael, that's the, the bad malach. Didn't what, Rasa Mashallah, Matzah Chipi He saw no sins among the Jews in, in, New Kippur. But, Amma, Ribon Shalom, You have one nation in this world that's Kimalachi Hashares. That are like angels. Ma Malachi Hashares, Yechayfei Regel. Just like the Malachim are barefoot. That's why we don't wear shoes. So too the Jews don't wear shoes. Mam is elem kfitsa, just like the angels don't jump around, they can't they can't walk. So to the Jews stand up, there's apparently there's a custom to stand there and keep her. Mam is don't eat. So too, Claudia Sol don't eat. Mamalochia is shalom be nahem. Just like the Malochia is have peace between them. As we say in the davening, Vehulamikav Nosnimeshu Right, they give each other permission to praise God. There's no competition. It's not a. It's not a. It's not a malach eat malach world, right? It's not, they, they, they get a, they, they can all get along. So too says the rush. So too on Yom Kippur, Klal Yisrael on Yom Kippur, there's shalom Shalom Beinayim. Why do we ask Mechila? Says the rush. Not simply for me to get atonement, but in order for me to create a sense of unity, in other words, even if I'm not wrong, I ask for mechilo. There's a famous story, the litvaks here will appreciate this, where Chaim Halebi Salavechik, the famous Brisker dynasty, an heir of Yom Kippur, an heir of Yom Kippur, went to, it was, the shul was packed, people had a little on their head, and Chaim was looking like, who's under the talis, looking, 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 he finally found the butcher. And Rechaim had ruled against the butcher with regard to a particular halacha that the, this animal is treif, and of course that cost the loss of a lot of money because a treif animal is thousands of dollars. And Rochaim had ruled um, that this animal was treif and the and the butcher cursed him out. Even though the butcher was willing to lose a lot more money in a previous case, but that wasn't there. And that, well, I don't need to go into all the details. Actually, no, it's... Ruchaim, the, the, the ruling the treif, the butcher was fine with. Ruchaim ruled against this butcher in a different, in a monetary case, and the butcher cursed him out. And Ruchaim said, "We learned from this that you know a person doesn't lose, doesn't mind losing money as long as somebody else didn't win the money. Didn't you know like that, that was the big thing? But, but whatever it is, Ruchaim ruled against this butcher, and the butcher cursed him out. At Arab Yom Kippur, going to all the talies and he finally sees the butcher, and he says I, I beg, I beg for forgiveness. I beg for forgiveness.'" The bushel looked at him and he said, I'll never forgive you till the dying day. Never, ever. It's not a great story. And it's not a story which has a happy ending. So the, the, but the, but the, the rabbi said to Rechayim, Why did you ask for forgiveness? You didn't do anything wrong. So Rechayim said, Who says you have to do something wrong in order to ask for forgiveness? What's the point of asking for forgiveness? The point is to create shalom between the Jews. As the Rosh taught us, the Mechila happens, forgiveness happens when the Kalal Yisrael is one. And the truth is, it's not only a halacha in Yom Kippur, it's a halacha in life. You can be right and be bitter, and you can be a person of peace, and, you know, be an individual that's willing to be mevater. Story, a, a cute story that some of you might have heard Different variations of the story, but I want to share it with you that uh, a, a husband was having difficulty with Shalom bias. And he went to the rabbi, it's a whimsical story, he went to the rabbi and he asked what he should do. So the rabbi said, Buy your wife a gift. As we all know, if you're having a problem with Shalom, buy it, then it's easy. If you want Shalom, then just buy it. If you want Shalom, then buy it. There's no problem, right? Abishai, you got that one? You want Shalom, you buy it. So fine. So the. So the husband went and he thought, okay, listen, I have to, the rabbi said I have to buy my wife a gift. So he decided, listen, we're having a communication problem. And therefore, when we speak, we don't understand each other. I think it would be nice if I purchase my wife a hearing aid. And my wife needs a hearing aid. So he approaches the store owner and he asks, he asks you know, can I buy a hearing aid? So the, uh, the man, you know, thought that that was a rather strange request. And he, uh, and he says to him, and he says to him, uh, you know, oh, let, me, let me see your ear. You know, it's doesn't do it. So he said, no, 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 it's for my wife. So the owner said, what do you mean? If it's for your wife, then I have, to, I have to see your wife's ear. So he says, no, you can't do that. It's a surprise. So the owner said, okay, I'll tell you what we can do. When you go home, stand a distance away from your wife and call out her name. If she hears you and responds then you know your hearing is fine. If she doesn't respond, then walk a little bit closer and keep on calling her name, etc. So he goes home and he quietly enters the home, tiptoes the living room and he sees his wife in the kitchen. He says, Malka, how are you? No response. Again, Malka, how are you? No response. He takes a few steps closer. Malka, no answer. Something must be wrong. Goes over to her and in her ear, he screams, Malka, how are you? She turns around looks at her husband, and she says, are you deaf? I already answered you three times. <laughs> so, sometimes, when we are sure that we're right, the MS is, the problem begins with ourselves. So, idea number one, to think about, I, I, I don't know how the story is going to end, and maybe I shouldn't even share with you the story. But I have a student of mine I was very close with, very, 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 very close with from many years ago. Even before your time of Isha and Sammy, even before your time. Not much before your time, before your time. Very close, very close. Long story short, I was at the Hasana when he got married. Beautiful, I was on cloud nine. A terrible marriage, terrible divorce. The, The... for whatever the details are, the father's upset with me because he thinks I forced the, hus- the husband to give a get to the wife, and it's not true. Lo not true. He hasn't spoken this. He hasn't spoken to me in ten years. The, the student, every Arab Rosh Hashanah or erev Yom Kippur, I send an email. I am sorry. I ask for forgiveness, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I don't know if I say it quite like that. Maybe this year I was much more. Just I'm sorry, but I, I miss you. I love you, etc. I, I don't know how the story is going to end. I don't have the. I don't. Not all stories end, you know. By the time the shir begins, but the truth is, I want to give an aitzah. There are many people in this room that probably have at least one person. Maybe not. Maybe I'm the only person in the whole world that has one person that like you know that is upset with me. But if even if you're right, if you're right, it doesn't make a difference. At the end of the day, you're not. In front of a court of law. But if you can create Shalom in Klai Yisrael, you're making Klai Yisrael more Malach-like. And you're creating a tremendous amount of peace in the world that brings bracha. There is no bracha without Shalom. That's the bottom line. So idea number one is the need to be right. We should try to let go of that to the best of our ability. Not always so easy, especially if you 're Moroccan It's especially hard uh, but but nothing personal okay okay, idea number two idea number two and maybe I should wave for from ahil until the end of the show okay. okay um this is a big one i'm going to this is a big one I'm just going to say it, and then I'll okay it's interrupting other people with my own agenda Mrs. Gottfreund says, not just when they're speaking, but also letting go of preparing my questions and answers in my mind while they're talking. In other words, very often in life, I walk into a meeting and I have an agenda. And if I'm a businessman, all right, that's all right. I want to make the sale. That's all right. But in human relationships, sometimes they also have an agenda. And I steamroll people and I just listen to what they're saying only to find the hook to get them to do what I really want. And by the way, there's a whole genre of books that tell you to listen well in order to manipulate people. Usually the last name is Carnegie, and it's all about, there's a lot of chachma in the book, in those books. But there's a lot of manipulation. But the truth is, it's a very interesting idea. Do you know that in halacha, if you make somebody deaf, you have to pay their complete value. Now, exactly how you evaluate a person is a different schmooze. But if you make somebody blind, you pay the value of their sight. But if you make someone deaf, you have to pay their complete value. Judaism views, you know that I'm sure all of you at some point have had this like Sophie's choice question. If I had to lose one of them, right, which one would I want to lose? right? So most people say, I would never want to lose my sight. But the halacha says that the most important sense is the sense of hearing. And we are actually called the people of Shmia, the people who have the koach of listening. There, I think, is a chazal that say that says that we have two ears and one mouth so we can listen twice as much as we speak. But the idea, and I'm going to try to expand on this point, the idea of listening to people, I, I can tell you in personal experience and I can tell you as a rabbi and I can tell you just in exer- observing other people, one of the most <coughs> fundamental dysfunctions in a marriage happens when people Stop listening to each other. People stop listening to each other. Now let's get to a little technical, a little technical stuff. Re- the research shows that the average person listens with only 25% efficiency. Meaning that there's a lot we're letting go in one ear and out the other. Why? Why are we not listening like we should? Why are we not listening? So here are five ideas to become a better listener. Five ideas to become a better listener. Number one, very often when we're listening, we're caught up with thinking about what we're going to say next, right? We don't listen well because we're too busy constructing our defenses, right? And that's because none of us like to be criticized. And so a very important step in being a good listener is putting away our defenses and being open enough to listen. As Mishlei writes, Shlomo HaMelech writes, Al tochach pen yisna eka. Don't give rebuke to the lates, The lates usually means the clown, but in this case it means the cynic. The one who rejects whatever you say. Because nobody, because a cynic doesn't like to hear rebuke. Hochach But give rebuke to a, a wise person he will love you. In other words, if a person views the 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 behavior of listening as being an act of self growth, they can accomplish unbelievable things. Number two in listening, number two in listening. I have a very good friend, of, we're very good friends of the family, and the husband goes out of ta- goes out of town a lot. And this was the BCE era before the cell phone era, right? And he was and he was uh, used to go a lot. They used to talk on the phone, and it was very pleasant. And then they got to Skype. Now it's already WhatsApp and they or, or, or FaceTime, whatever it is. And they got to Skype. And uh, the wife shared with me that she was shocked to see that as her husband was listening to her, because now they could see each other on the computer, right? So, you know, when you're... When you're on the phone, you don't know what the other, what the other person is doing on the phone, right? But you could always get like a, a hint if the person's listening or not, right? How do you know? Like you know, they they repeat what you say slowly. Like oh, so you want like like you know you have like you know that you know I'm talking about because I do that. I do that myself, right? Like you know, I mean it's happened sometimes when this person goes on for a long time. I just like you know just I have once I fell asleep on the phone with the person. Was like, are you are you there? Are you there? Of course. I'm like you know, um. So, so uh, she was shocked to find out that her husband, while he was listening to her, was like looking at an email, was like, you know, doing like, you know, eating, like all these different things going on, right? So being, number one, is not to construct defenses when we're listening. Number two is to develop mindfulness. Mindfulness is, is synonymous with, not looking at your email or your cell phone when you're talking. You know, yeah, like you're talking to somebody, and you, like, like nowadays nobody forget about behind the Skype. Like you're talking to somebody, like every like four seconds, like they look down. Yeah, yeah, like 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 that. Like you know, uh, sorry. Like like, like I always tell my my talmidos, my uh, students that I have now. That I used to teach boys, and I teach girls, and I teach a lot of guys also. But like you know, when they go to sleep in class, the girls when they fall asleep in class. They're very polite about it. They make it seem like they're listening, like they go like this, like you know. And like, the, the, whole with the, the whole the elbow thing always have like an elbow guard. You know, like an elbow guard. When the guys fall asleep in class like they they, they like kick back and like, Rabbi, can you like put it keep it down please? Like, you know, like, you know, like, so 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 a person who has the Azus, the shall we say, the impudence that even when they're talking to you, they're looking down, right? That's a tremendously insulting thing. So second, the second very important aspect of listening is to be mindful, to actually listen and look at the person. Very hush. Number three. Number three, empathy. Again, I'll give a whole show on this point, but I'll just simply say this. The geula of Egypt, the gulas Mitzrayim and the gulas Yosef happened when Moshe went out of his comfort zone and he looked Beyond the palace to see suffering Jews. When Yosef looked beyond his misery and he saw a suffering butler and baker, his life changed. The ability to look at somebody who might be yelling at you and realize that there's a lot of pain there, that I can not only listen to what the words are, but to be able to, but to be able to feel the pain of the other to be no say but all you can't imagine how much effect that has on the individual without you doing anything an interesting study that dr rabbi dr Matti klein shared with me today an amazing thing that they i don't know exactly the details of the study but they put individuals in front of a mountain okay and they asked individuals individuals please tell me what's the grade of the mountain what's the like you know what's the angle You know, it was like a 70% incline, 80% incline, whatever, you know, 80 degrees, 70 degrees. And they did the same study um, without putting the people individually, but they did the same study having people in couples. You know, two people. Two people looking at the same grade. And consistently, I don't know how they did this, but consistently they found that whenever somebody was with someone else, they said that the incline was less. That the grade, that the actual hill was less of an incline than than when they were alone. When a person feels that they are with someone else, when they feel that somebody else is caring for them, is listening to them, is sharing them in their pain, that itself creates tremendous comfort. Tremendous comfort. The third third tip within listening is to figure out a way to be empathetic. Number four. Number four. Um, when a person is listening, uh, when a person listens, very often we know that we're going to hear critique, especially if it's a, if it's a heated argument. We know that we're going to hear critique. And it's going to be something that's hard to hear. And nobody, you know, when a person says to you, right, Brando, you gave a great cheer, it's, I, you, I'm happy to listen you know, I'm happy to listen. But when a person gives me more critique, I'm naturally going to be defensive, right? So the, the, fourth, the fourth step in being a good listener is to recognize and realize that everyone has shortcomings and that I shouldn't feel, thank you, I shouldn't feel like I'm on the defensive. That if I recognize and realize that being criticized is necessary for my growth that effective listeners don't block out negative criticism, that I will be a much more able recipient. And the fifth and final uh, tip in listening is to ask significant questions. When a person is being told ideas, right, and you know, somebody says to you, you know, I think that you wronged me. I think that you spoke to me inappropriately. What did I say? How do you, why do you feel that way? The ability... To provide thought-provoking feedback is one of the best ways to show that you're engaged. So the second, the second, the second thing to let go of, or this, the second thing to focus on, in terms of, um, in terms of uh, the five, is not to interrupt other people with my own agenda, which really means to be a good listener. And to be a good listener means number one that you will, that you don't construct your own defenses. Number two, that you are mindful in the conversation. Number three, you're empathetic. Number four, you're open to your shortcomings. Number five, you ask significant questions. Okay, now, number, number three is a big one. <clears throat> As a rabbi... As a rabbi, very often um, people will ask me for questions, ask me halachic questions, they'll ask me for advice, etc., etc. As a rabbi, sometimes I will ask people for money. I have to do that sometimes, okay? running a colo, right? <coughs> When I don't respond, excuse me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm very sensitive to you, I'm sorry. When I don't respond, so then people will criticize me. Very often that's the case. But if I. Thank you. That already gives me a menucha. Yeah, appreciate it. <laughs> but very often I will I will text people, I'll email them, I will uh, I'll reach out to them, and I'll get no answer. The unanswered text, right? Not just me. Sometimes you reach out to people, you'll get no answer. Once, twice, three times a week, two weeks, three weeks. And in your mind, you often are thinking to yourself, well, what did I do wrong? Right? Or um, you talk to your friend and they're clearly not listening. They didn't come to this year. Right? Um, Or you see people in a bad mood. Um, Or you have a moody teenager. Yeah? Or um, you say a joke and they frown. They feel insulted. So very often, very often we take things personally. We take things personally. We look at a person's response; they're ignoring me. What did I do wrong? And um, they frowned at me. You know, I, I'm, I'm insulted. Hanoch Teller has a very beautiful image, and I think it's really a very important, a very important lesson. We often judge people. It's our natural state of being. We judge people. But Teller says, whenever you meet someone, assume you're meeting them at chapter 2. Whenever you meet somebody, assume you're meeting them at chapter 2. He or she has already completed chapter 1, and much has occurred that you are unaware of. Before we can judge another and believe that we fully understand them, we must literally step into their shoes. In other words, why do I take things personally? Because I I think I I think that the only focus of their life is their interaction with me. Listen to an amazing statement by Chazal, an amazing statement by the rabbis. There are two women. One was Rus, and the other one was Arpa. Rus and Arpa. Who's the heroine of the story? Rus, right? So the rabbis ask the question, why is Rus called Rus and Arpa called Arpah? They, they This was not their name. According to our tradition, the Gemara and Sodom, this was not their name. Rus had a different name, and Arpa had a different name. But the name given to them by Chazal is Rus and Arpa. So the rabbis say, because when Naomi looked at them, that fateful time where she was said to them, go, leave, whatever. So the rabbis say, what did Arpa do? What do you know what the word Oref means? In Hebrew, the word Oref? The back of the neck. The rabbis say, why is she called Arpa?" Because she turned her back on her mother-in-law. She turned her back on her mother-in-law. She left her. And why is Rus called Rus? Why is Rus called Rus? Can anybody try to figure it out from the context? Because Rus means that she what she what? She faced her, and in fact the rabbis say the word Rut is connected to the word Raata. Raata means she saw the words of her mother in law. She she saw the words. So I have two questions. One is why do they use the verb of seeing and not the verb of Hearing, and a more fundamental question is: If you think about it, what did Naomi say to do? Leave. She said, "Leave." Who's the one? Who's the one that listened to her mother-in-law? Arpa, Arpa right? No. So, what's the answer? She could see in her face. Oh. right. Very often in life, what you are listening, what you are hearing. Is not the real story. Mm-hmm. Naomi. Naomi said, "Listen, you, know, you really should go. You really should go. Like, you know, you really should go. Like, you sure? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. You really should go, right? Like, you know, the the kids who are about to leave. You know, you know, should I uh, should I stay another day? Should I stay another day? No, I think it's the right thing. You should really go. You should really, go. you know, like, you know, like, you sure? Yeah, of course, of course, I'm sure. Like, you know, okay, thanks, mom. You know, no, really." Inside, I really want them to stay, but like, you know, like I have to be prim and proper. So the ability to look beyond the initial response and to not just simply judge people in their present reality is critical in order for me to not take things personally. Very often when we are feeling ignored... Very often when we are feeling, being taken advantage of, very often we a person greets us with a frown, it has nothing to do with us whatsoever. It has to do with the the circumstance that the person is, is enmeshed in. That moody teenager might be saying, I hate you. They might be actually saying those words, I hate you. What they might really be thinking is, I hate myself. And I hate you because you got me into this situation. Right, but but really, in the deepest place, has nothing to do with you, and of course, as human beings, how do we respond? We listen to the words and we say, "Okay," right? So that's you hate me, I hate you. Not to take things personally is a tremendous avoda. You had a comment? No, no comment. Um, Yeah, yes, Bella. Tarof, right? Yeah, 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 a, yeah. the whole thats all tarot, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, yeah. I should have used that. I'm gonna add that to my the next time I say the shir. It's my first time saying the shit, Yeah, yes. Talking about and she saw. She saw the words, right? She didn't saw, hear it, right? But that's like at Har we saw the. Sounds. Right, beautiful, right? Like her, yeah, that's good. You, you made it's a beautiful connection, right? So, I just think that this nakuta, this idea of not taking things personally, is, um, is perhaps one of the most, sort of, shall I say, practical in points in a marital relationship. In a marital relationship, very often your spouse is having a bad day, right? And that's not about you. And it happens to be you are the nail that the hammer is, you know, has been looking for the whole day. And if you happen to be the nail, so listen, I'm not Christian, but listen, sometimes, you know, if that's what it means, means that you have to be, you know, you have to be oh, that, like you know, that's what it means, you know. Please do not quote me on this, right? But sometimes, right, if you realize that, you know, that you are, you know, you're doing it for God, not for, you know, Him. Anyway, okay, so that's a very, that's a third thing, not to take things personally. Number four. I have seven minutes. Number four. This is big. This is very big. Letting go, it's a double negative, letting go of avoiding pain and suffering. Letting go of avoiding pain and suffering. Rabbi Abraham Twersky, thank you, Rabbi Abraham Twersky. in an amazing video, it's one minute and 31 seconds long, one minute and 31 seconds long, and it's been watched by over, has over a million hits by, uh, by the Jews, that's a big, that's a big number, right? Um, you know, by a rock uh, song that's like, you know, small, but it's a big number. So here's, his, here's what he says. Amazing. He says, the lobster is a soft, mushy animal that lives inside a rigid shell. That rigid shell does not expand. How can the lobster grow? As the lobster grows, the shell becomes very confining, and the lobster feels itself under pressure and uncomfortable. It goes under a rock formation to protect itself. No, I think that is enough. It goes under... I'm almost finished. It goes under a rock formation to protect itself from the predatory fish, casts off the shell, and produces a new one. Eventually, the shell becomes very uncomfortable. As it grows, it goes back under the rock. The lobster repeats this numerous times. The stimulus for the lobster to be able to grow is that it feels uncomfortable now if lobsters had doctors they would never grow because as soon as the lobster feels uncomfortable it would go to the doctor get a Valium a Percocet feel fine and never want to cast off its shell says Rabbi I think that we have to realize that times of stress are times that are signals for growth and if we use adversity properly we can grow through adversity. The truth is, and this is really a whole discussion to itself, the same God that gave us our good midos, gave us our bad midos, and the whole tachlis of our creation is to be able to overcome those bad midos, which was given to us by God. Rambam in Hichosh chapter 7, tells us, the most important principle of Judaism, more than the Mashiach, more than the belief in reward and punishment, the most important principle in Judaism is that you have the ability to choose. It's the most important principle in Judaism. And the Rambam says most of the world doesn't believe this. The Rambam says the Gentiles and even a lot of the Jews don't believe this. And by the way, if you want to know what's going on in the world, much of what's going on in the world is that's the way I feel, that's the way I am. That's the way I feel, that's the way I am. But if you really want to choose to be great, you take ownership of your bad midos, you thank God for giving them to you, and then you spend your whole life, little by little, overcoming, a little bit at a time. Rav Huttner writes that those gedolim biographies, the ones about the great rabbis, Rav Huttner writes the problem with them is you only get to see the end product. I want to tell you a story about the Chavetz Chaim that you will never ever read. But I heard it from Rabbi Bera wine in the name of his father. And I think this is maybe the greatest story about the Chavetz Chaim. Rabbi Bera wine's father grew up in the house of the Chavetz Chaim. I don't know the story exactly why. And the Chavetz Chaim was a great tzaddik and a great Talmud Chacham, but he was also a rabbi. And because he was a rabbi, by definition it means that there are a lot of people who bothered him. A lot of nudnikim that wanted his time and his energy, because that's the definition of being a public figure. People can be annoying. Not, of course, nobody here. Mm-hmm. But people could be a nudnik. So some guy was bothering the Chavetz Chaim, who was a great tzaddik, and the Chavetz Chaim was becoming agitated. And the Gemara tells us that Kohanim can get angry. Kohanim Raschanim him. Instead of a barrel wine the name of his father, the Chavetz Chaim was getting frustrated, And he moved to the corner and he started talking to himself. And he said, Yisrael Meir, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it worth it? And he had a conversation with himself. And then he came back and he was calm. Now, I hope that's not and Harba, but the Chavetz Chaim. I think that's an amazing story. Why? Because in discomfort, big discomfort and small discomfort, is where real growth is found. The moment I try to avoid discomfort, my beautiful grandchildren called me up today. Why do they call me up? I have a five-year-old granddaughter who's going on 15. And, you know, I just opened the phone and she talks about seven, eight minutes. She says, hey, are you listening? Yes, I'm listening. talks another five, ten minutes. It's the, best, it's the best thing in the world. She's amazing. And she called, why did they call me up? Because today, they do. They jumped off the diving board in their swimming lessons. The five-year-old and the three-year-old. They jumped off the diving board. Maybe she's four. The other one, I don't, I don't know. Approximately three to four. <laughs> can't exact age. I can't. I can't be for And I said, to, I said, to, I said to them, "Were you scared?" I don't know if that was the right question. To ask. Maybe a psychologist said I ruined them for life. I don't know. And so what the older one said. No, I wasn't scared, right? The younger one, like, yeah, it was a little bit uncomfortable, right? I said, wow, you were scared and you still did it? Amazing. We have to be mechanic ourselves, that if we're scared of something, that if it causes us discomfort, that's a place of great growth. I will not seek to avoid adversity and pain. I will seek to allow myself to embrace the great growth that's found within pain, the great growth. If of course I'm not a glutton for punishment, I'm not a glutton for punishment. But the ability to embrace pain and suffering. Think about all the great people. When we were growing up, some people don't know who that is. Some people might think it's like a Russian hockey player. But when I was growing up, there was a man named Natan Sharansky, Anatoly Sharansky. Right? They call me Anatoly in prison. I do lie, right? You know, a very small man. But he's a giant for our generation. He was a giant, right? I remember when I was in Yeshiva University when he, we talked about the Tehillim that he that he did that he had hunger strikes for. He's a big. How did he become a giant? Through the massive suffering and discomfort he went through. That's how a person becomes great by pushing themselves. Avoiding discomfort is avoiding growth. And finally, okay, I'm a minute or two over my time. Finally, the last the last key of letting go is my desire for certainty, my desire to be in control. You know, when I was in University, you know, there's a bunch of Jews in that college. And, you know, and everybody was double majoring and triple minoring, like, you know, just in case I have this, like, you know, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be pre-law, but, you know, maybe the epist a little bit financed, you never know, right? You know, a little bit of business here on the side, like, a little bit of accounting, right? You know, you got to, like, make, you know, get a... You know how Jews are, right? So, so it was like say Jews have to speak to the manager. You know, no matter where you are, like, you're like, just let me speak to the manager, right? Jews have to always be in control, right? That's the way it is. But the MS is, we say this, we say this in, in the Nusach Ashkenaz, says in the davening, the only thing that's certain in life is Hashem. There is, there is no such thing as certainty in life. And therefore, Sarah Gottfried writes, I don't know what will happen tomorrow, even today. So I'm going to stop making my decisions based on my desire for certainty. Instead, I'm going to try to base my decisions on my values and my goals, even when they risk upsetting the status quo. There's much to say here, but let me just leave you with a beautiful article, a beautiful story, and and a a closing thought. Okay? the uh, the uh, a young boy, unfortunately, a young boy, Yechiel, eight years old, was diagnosed with cancer, and his whole second grade was shot. Instead of desk, books, and friends, it was hospitals, needles, and nurses. And Baruch Hashem, after the, at the end of the year, he received a clean bill of health. The doctor was worried that the boy had missed the whole second grade, and the social and emotional stability of the boy was at stake. so they figured out that maybe they'll send him to camp, but the boy didn 't have any hair and he was skinny and he was frail and would how would he fit in the head of, they called the head of the camp who and he worked out that the counselor's going to make sure that he feels good, and, and indeed the counselors Called the other campers, a little boy, and, and just the, the whole thing, they worked it out in a beautiful way. And as the, the boy came to camp, he had a huge smile on his face. He was lovable, joyful. Instead of everybody being uncomfortable, he made everybody feel comfortable, he, making jokes about his hair and how he could not run as fast as the other kids. you know, He put everybody to ease. And this boy, Yechiel, became a very, very popular boy in the camp. Very, very popular. And uh, the end of the camp, the end of the summer... They went to the big trip, which was an amusement park. They drove to the amusement park, and everybody's talking about what they want to go on—the water slides, the safari—and this boy Yechiel, says, "I only want to go on the roller coasters. I only want to go on the roller coasters." There's so many other things to do. He goes, "Yeah, but I only want to go on the roller coasters." The boys thought he was exaggerating, but sure enough, <coughs> as he went and the, he went to the park, after going on a few roller coasters. And they realized that he was not willing to do anything else. He literally only wanted to go on the roller coasters. The whole day, roller coaster after roller coaster after roller coaster. At the end of the day, the counselor said, Yechiel, did you have a good time? I said, okay, great time. He said, I was able to accomplish my goal. He said, you had a goal in the amusement park? <laughs> you had a goal? He said, yeah. I wanted to go on the roller coaster. I just did that. It was the only thing in the whole park which has any meaning. He said, what do you mean? What meanings are there in roller coasters? He said, when you're on a roller coaster, moving, falling, twirling, and looping at such high speeds in so many directions, it is a tremendous thrill. On the other hand, if you were in a car and experienced those same emotions, what would you feel? You'd be frightened for your life. Similarly, if you were on an airplane and experienced those motions as you do on a roller coaster, you would be terrified. With your stomach dropping and the wind blowing in your face as you travel faster than a speeding boat, you would feel the fear of death. But when you're on a real roller coaster, The fear is transformed into excitement. It is scary, but it is exciting. Nobody ever sits on a falling airplane and says, this is such an enjoyable ride. But on a roller coaster, that same feeling elicits happiness and exhilaration. Ichiyo became quiet. Turning to the council with tears in his eyes, last year of my life was like a roller coaster. I would go up and I would go down. This year I am scared of what's going to be. I am afraid of what my future holds in stock. I therefore wanted to remind myself that on a roller coaster, You're not scared because you have the safety belt strapping you in. On a roller coaster, it is fun because you know you are safe. I wanted to tell myself that in the roller coaster of life, I am safe. God is holding on to me like a seat belt. I can choose to be afraid for my life, or I can choose to smile and enjoy the ride. And I'd rather choose to enjoy the ride. Uncertainty is the very essence of life. The only way for a Jew to embrace uncertainty is to believe that no matter what happens, you're with me. Just to review what we said, just to review what we said, Maybe we with a story. Number one, we started out by saying we have to drop the need to be right. The malachim, we want to be like malachim. it's not important. We want shalom, the hearing aid story. Number two, we have to stop. We have to to stop interrupting other people with our own agenda. We have to learn to be good listeners, to receive critique, (coughs) not to build defenses. Number three, not to take things personally, to realize that if people are upset, and even if they say things to you, it's usually not about you, it's usually about them. To try to look deeper, like Rus and Arpa, realize that there's a chapter two in people's life. Number four, we should stop trying to avoid pain and suffering. That's an inexorable part. Of our existence, but in that is found growth mamish, in that is found really the ultimate milchemes the ability to, to grow, is the ability to face our discomfort and to go beyond it, Rabbi, Rabbi uh, uh, Tversky's lobster story. And number five, to think that I can be in control is a fundamental mistake my desire for certainty will ground me and not allow me to, to make decisions of conscience. If I if I embrace the fact that a Kadosh runs the world and I root my decisions in integrity, and in my goals and in my values, then I will, be a Hashem, be able to overcome tremendous tremendous obstacles. Let me let me end by sharing uh, one mm-hmm. final one final message, and this message from Rabbi Orlovsky that he was a Shabbaton in Big Bear, California, in 1978, and he was leading a minion. There were two boys who wanted to ski Shabbos, and they were very serious about their skiing. At some point during Shabbos, I mentioned how man was created from dust of the earth. And Hashem breathed into him a spirit of life. In essence, then, a person is half God and half dirt. Considering this, a person is given the choice of deciding which direction to take in life. Six months later I was in the yeshiva and a man dressed in respectable yeshiva clothing approached me, Rabbi how are you? You don't remember me, but I'm the boy who came for that ski weekend of yours in Big Bear. Really, I said, you're the guy with the army gear? What are you doing here? He said, I thought about what you said at the beginner's meeting. When I came back home after the weekend, I looked myself in the mirror and I said, I can either be God or I can be dirt. Am I dirt? I'm not dirt. There's God inside of me that I'm going to find it. Hashem should give each and every one of us the ability to... Claim the godliness, and not by the messaging that's often around us that reminds us, you know, there's a contest every year in 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 America. I forgot where it is, where they try to make see which owner looks the most like their dog. Like, and and I actually have seen I've seen like the the centerfold of like Time magazine. It's kind hard to tell sometimes, who's who, you know. But the world will have you believe that we are we are like that. But really, we know that we are not dirt. We are God. We are godliness. We are tzel Shem Temis brachah. Give each and every one of us the ability to seize that sense of who we are and who we can be. And as we walk into Yom Kippur, remember the love that Kars is waiting for us, waiting like my dear Fagi, to come through the window. And Bez Hashem. If we're able to work on some the of these areas, become a little bit better, then we are going to be able to seize the godliness in our life. Be able to live a life with a karosh as a shem, we should be to have a mechila, slicha kapara, and to have a good gebench diyar, which is Ashkenazic for saying, Chatimatova! Amen. Amen. Amen.